Good morning. I want to uh, say welcome to Men of Valor. I'm so grateful that you men have joined us and um, you get to see what my other passion is. I tell you all the time I have a passion to work with you men, but I have a passion to preach and teach God's Word. So thanks for being our guest here this morning. Darnell, thanks for bringing the guys. Uh, Darnell is uh, one of the lead guys over there, and so he coordinated all these guys coming. So, uh, Darnell, thanks for being here. You are a dear friend of mine, and it's grateful to see you and be in your presence this morning, so thank you. Also, this morning, if you helped out at VBS, if you'd please stand, we'd like to give you recognition this morning. You guys did an amazing job of putting our VBS together. So if you'd stand, if you participate in VBS. Thank you very much. We had, on average, about 45 children every evening, even on the one stormy night on Thursday. So uh, we know and believe and trust that God's Word was sown into the hearts of those children that were here, and now we beg that He would bring the harvest. Amen? And last but not least, we got a word this morning from some of our missionaries in uh, Asia that they had some safety issues this morning. They weren't able to go into detail. They're in a very, um, because this is being broadcast, I can't tell you what nation they're in, but they're in a very dangerous nation. And so I just want to take a moment to pray for that missionary. They're IMB missionaries um, over um, in Asia. And so they, their safety has been compromised this morning. And so let me pray for them. Rob, actually, will you pray for them? They're some of Rob's dear friends. And so I'm going to ask that Rob, would stand and pray for Jeff and his wife and the team over there in Asia. Pray for us, please, Jeff, or for Jeff, Rob. Amen. If you have a pew Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. That's page 821 in your pew Bibles. I've been asked by a number of people over the last few uh, days and weeks about, you know, we just finished uh, our series in First Timothy, and so a number of you have asked, uh, where are we headed next? We're going to head into, we're going to start at the beginning. I'm going to work our way through um, Genesis. I promise I'm not going to cover all 50 chapters. We'll be here um, probably till my death at the age of 80 if I tried to do that. Uh, we're only going to walk through the first 11 chapters. Those first 11 chapters are really the foundation of all that we believe to be true about God's Word, about the character of God, uh, about what God did for us. And so, We'll start that series in, in a few weeks. It's called Foundations. We'll go through Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Genesis chapter 11. So this morning we'll do a standalone today, a standalone next week, and then Brother Frank will come and preach, and then the following week we'll have our homecoming. So that's what the next four weeks here look like for us in, in the teaching uh, of God's Word. But this morning I want to look at this lady in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 15. I believe if all of us would take our cues from this lady, our lives would look a lot different. So I want to pay close attention to this lady. Four things I want to see in this passage. And the four things that will come up on the screen throughout the message are her request, that's the woman, his rejection, that's Christ, and then her reaction, and then ultimately Christ or his response. So look at let's look at Matthew chapter 15 verse 21. I'll read some and then uh, pause and teach. It says this, 
Jesus went away from there, though their part is Galilee. And Jesus, if you look in chapter 14, Jesus was just doing uh, ministry in Galilee. He had just walked on the water. He had just performed um, the Ten Commandments. He had just uh, talked about the traditions and the commandments. And now many of the scholars say he begins to walk away from ministry to kind of collect himself and to teach his young uh, disciples. And you'll see from 15, if you read the book of Matthew, from 15 on, it's kind of the transition point of the book of Matthew. This is where in 15, Jesus begins to prepare himself and his disciples for his ultimate uh, crucifixion, the reason he came. So many scholars believe he went away from Galilee where he was known and where people were pressed in on him uh, to, to get kind of in isolation or solitude to kind of get ready and get his disciples ready for what was to come. And it says this, And he went away from there and went through to the district of Tyra and Sidon. That is in the northwest corner of uh, Israel. It's 30 miles, 30 miles. They didn't have cars. So a 30-mile journey northwest out of the city of Galilee to prepare himself. But here's what you have to know about these two cities. They're in Canaan. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says this about Canaan. There were seven countries or seven peoples that God said you've got to utterly destroy and wipe out. If you're going to go into the promised land, there's these seven nations that are more mightier than you. It says in Deuteronomy 7 verses 1 through 4. These were Israel's arch enemies. They hated each other. They could not stand each other. I don't know about you, but if, if some people group want to come and wipe out our entire nation, they're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be friendly together, are we? And so this is where Jesus goes to go to prepare himself for the crucifixion is his arch enemies. And you may be thinking, what, what is he doing? Jesus was always on mission. This wasn't just because he wanted to get farther away. Jesus knew he had a mission to do and what he had come to do. And even in this passage, it seems odd because he says in this passage, I've come to who? The house of Israel. And where does he go? Away from Israel. Like that, that, that's baffling. I have a mission to reach these people, but I'm going to go over here and do it. What? This is what we can draw already from the passage. You and I are not Israel. We are not God's chosen people. It tells us this in Romans chapter 8. We were enemies of God. And while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. So already in the passage, Jesus is foreshadowing what's to come for you and me. But we have to have the response of this lady if we are to be saved this morning. And so her request is simple. It says this, and this is the only time in all the Gospels that we see Jesus leaving the territory of Galilee or the Israel. This is the only place in all of the Gospels that Jesus is 30 miles away from where God had called him and sent him. And she comes, and it says this in verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman 
two things we can already draw from that. A, she was a woman. That's a no-no. Women do not interact with men in that culture. It doesn't matter what culture. In the Middle East, women do not interact, especially with rabbis. And she's an enemy of Christ the King. It's obvious Jesus is a Jew. And yet, in that, she comes to Jesus, a woman, an enemy of Christ, and says something to Jesus. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, you've got to pick this up. She was a pagan woman. And she had worshipped a lot of other gods in her day, but there's something in her soul that day that says, all these gods that I've been worshipping cannot have mercy on me. I must Run to the one that can have mercy on me. Something about Jesus had spread to her. She had heard enough about Jesus that she ran to who? Jesus. And then she calls him two different things. This is important in this passage. These two things must be true of every one of us if we are truly to be saved. She calls him Lord. That word, Lord, she comes to Jesus. She's crying out, it says in the passage. We'll see in a moment. She's a far, a far way off from Jesus in this moment. But she, she sees Jesus coming and she begins to cry out. That, that word cry out in the text is this ongoing crying out. I don't know if you've ever had or remember this about your children. It's true almost every day with me and Jenny. More Jenny than me. I, I just get to hear it. But every morning when Cedar's ready to get up out of the bed, he does this cadence. Mommy, mommy. And so yesterday, Jenny and I were sitting in bed and I said, just ignore him. Let's see how long it'll go. Like maybe he'll just stop. My brother didn't stop until mommy got up out of the bed and ran to rescue him. That's the cry that this woman is having to Jesus. So it's not just one time she says, Lord, have mercy on me. She's saying over and over again, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. So she calls him Lord. Which says to us that she realizes that Jesus has authority. Like this Canaanite woman, this pagan woman, notices something about Jesus that he has authority over all things. He's sovereign. A pagan woman. This is not a believing woman. This isn't even a Jewish woman. This is a pagan woman that has eyes to see who Jesus is. Lord is first. But now look at the other name that she says about Jesus. Son of David. You know what that means? That's the idea that he's a warrior king. That's who David was. David was the warrior of Israel, but he was also what? The savior of Israel. So Jesus is being called in these two things. You are both Lord and Savior. You see, that must be true for all of us in this room this morning. Christ must be your Lord and he must be your Savior. You cannot serve God only as Savior and you cannot serve Christ only as Lord. You have to have both in order to be saved. You and I must come to Jesus and say, Lord and Savior, and live our lives out that way. You see, because if all I say is Jesus is Savior, then I'll never submit to Him as Lord. And all I'll have is a get-out-of-hell-free card that I could have playing 
heaven monopoly. That's not what Christ calls us to anywhere in the Gospels. He says over and over again, we must see Him as Lord and Savior and live our lives that way. Amen? It's important to know that. Here's two questions I want to leave as we move into the next portion of Scripture. Do you know who to come to in your greatest need? You see, this woman knew who to come to. She knew that she had gone all these other places and all these other places left her empty-handed. Left her what? With no mercy and having no mercy on her daughter who had a demon possession in her. She had already exhausted her resources. And so she runs to Christ. Do you know who to run to this morning? That's the first question. Now let's look at Christ's response. It's a very odd response. It's the only time in all the Gospels that we see this response of Christ. Let's look in verse 23. So here's this woman crying out to Jesus. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon over and over and over again. Catch Christ's response. For he did not answer her a word. This is the only time in the gospel that we see Christ give no response to someone in need. Every other time that we see, especially here in Matthew, we see in Matthew chapter 8, the leopard comes with the same response to Jesus and he heals him. He comes and the centurion servant is sick and the centurion comes to Jesus and begs that the man would be healed and Jesus heals him. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law and is healed. We see that two demon-possessed people come to Jesus and they're healed. We see the paralytic is brought to Jesus by his friends. He's healed. The, the ruler's young daughter who is dead is raised to life. We see in the woman with the blood, issue of the blood for years, is healed. We see two blind men that Jesus heals in a moment. We see the mute man that's been possessed by demons healed in a moment. That's only in chapter 8 and 9 of Matthew. I'm not even beyond that yet. And over and over and over in the life of Jesus, we see healing after healing after healing after healing. But here in the passage, it says what? He gave no response. Anyone else like, what? Huh? Like, do something, Jesus. Show up, Jesus. Here's this woman pleading for something, Jesus. Her daughter has a demon. Do something. What? And no response. You know who gives the response? His knucklehead disciples. Look at the response the knucklehead disciples give. And then his disciples came and begged him, pleaded with him. The same cry that this woman has, these disciples are begging and pleading with Jesus. What does he say? Send her away, get rid of her. What? Like, 
Have you not seen all that Jesus has done already, you knuckleheads? They were there at all those healings already. Well, how come they wanted the woman to be sent away? Because she was a bother. She was annoying. She was in the way of vacation. Because they remember, they were getting away for ministry to go relax, to get ready for something bigger. Oh, Jesus, just get rid of her, man. Just do your thing and get rid of her. I mean, they at least say, like, heal her and get rid of her. But man, like, let, let, like moving on. Any of us like that? Okay, it's lonely up here today, Frank. Real lonely, brother. Like, we want to see God work, but we don't want to see God work when it inconveniences us. I mean, I want to see people saved, but God forbid they come into this building and, and pour stuff on the carpet. You want me to keep going? Like, we want God to work, but we want God to work on our time frame. God doesn't work like that. That's these disciples' hearts. Oh yeah, God, do something, but just don't inconvenience me. Don't dig too deep in my pocketbook. Talked about that last week. Don't let the people smell too bad. Like, let those people be just like us, because that's easier. Still lonely, Frank. Oh, just send her away. Just get rid of her. What? So here's the response. The woman's crying out. Jesus ignores her. The knuckleheads speak up. And Jesus is still kind of just hanging out. Watching it. Send her away. And then it says this. He answered her. Like, and finally, Jesus speaks up. So the knuckleheads say, send her away, and then Jesus is like, it's my turn to talk. Let me speak up. Now, you think it's going to be a powerful moment. Look what he says. Not what I would have said, but I'm not Jesus. And then he answered him and her and said, I was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Like, what? Like, what Jesus is saying to her and the disciples is, I didn't come for you. That's what he said. Like we read this passage, this is like one of those moments in passage you're like, wait. Like, is that really what he said? Like Jesus said, I didn't come for you. You're not the lost house of Israel. Like, you're the other people. What? But catch her response to his rejection. It gets worse, by the way. I'm just telling y'all, it gets worse before it gets better. I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. Catch this three-letter word, but. She came and knelt before the Lord. She came and knelt before Him. Remember a few weeks ago, we, we, 
uh, looked at the young rich ruler who basically was said the same thing. And you know what he did? He turned around and walked off. I mean, I ain't doing all that now. You're getting crazy. But what did she do? Wherever she was far off from Jesus, she runs to Jesus and does what? Falls before the Lord. That posture is a posture of worship and submission. So here's this woman that had just had no response from Jesus. She heard from the knuckleheads, go away. And then she hears from Jesus, hey, wait, wait, I didn't come for you. And instead of walking away disheartened, where she come to? She says, man, I got no other options. Like, you're my only option. Like, if I don't come to you, I'm done. And my daughter's toast. So I got one place to come, and the only place I know to come is at your feet and worshiping you. Remember, she came and worshiped before Jesus had done anything for her. How easy is us to come to Jesus when He's done something for us, but God forbid we come to Jesus when He's done nothing for us and He's remained silent. But she falls before Jesus in an act of worship, in an act of pleading with God, do something for me. It gets worse. Catch what He says next. Like, really, Jesus? Again, for the second time, Lord, help me. Not only does she know who Jesus is, we're going to see here, starting right here, she knows something about herself. Like, help me. Meaning, I can't do it myself. Nobody else can do it. You're the only one that can help me. Please, God, help me. Help me. Help me. She knows enough about herself that she can't do what she needs to be done. She knows the only one that can do it is Christ. So I ask you this question. Do you understand how helpless you are this morning? That you can do nothing. Not only are you helpless, look at the next thing he says to her. Help me, Lord, help me. And he answers, it is not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? She just got called a dog by our Savior. You see that in the passage? He's referring to her as a dog. It's not right for me to throw what I've come to give to them to you. Now, there's two words for dogs. I, I, I don't care which one you use. I don't want to be called a dog either way. The dog in this passage that Christ uses is those little house dogs. I call them vacuums. You know, you drop something on the floor, they come and get it. Like, you don't even have to vacuum or mop. That's the kind of dog. Like, every time crumbs would fall from the table, from the children, the dogs would come and eat the food before it even hit the floor. That's what he's saying to this woman. You're like a dog that roams around this house looking for crumbs. Like you're a dog. I don't know about you. Anyone want to be called a dog in here? Like those are fighting words, right? Fellas from Men of Valor, fighting words? 
better be glad her husband wasn't around. Can you imagine him hearing Jesus call her a dog? I mean, I'll fight anyone in the room. You call Jenny a dog, it's over. Probably for me, but I'm at least going to put up a fight. But now look at her response. Catch the next two words. The third time she uses the word Lord. Yep. See that in the text? Yes, I am a dog. She understands who she is. She understands that she, yes, in God's eyes, she is nothing but a dog. And we're going to get to it in a moment. Things change radically after that. You see, every one of us must be like this lady. Whether you call yourself a dog, a sinner, wicked, a heathen, any of those adjectives you want to put in place, our response is simply, yes, that is who I am. That's me. Am I the only one again? Like, I am a dog. In and of myself, apart from Christ Jesus, I'm worse than a dog, let's be honest. The things I've done, the things I've said, the things I've thought about, it'd probably be better off for me to be a dog. At least they get craps. I'm a beggar, I'm a thief, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a you fill in the blank. That Yes, Lord, you're right. That's me. You see, she knew even more about who she was. And her response to Jesus was, yeah. But, or yet, catch this, she still goes back to who he is. Yeah, that's all true, Jesus. That's who I am. But it doesn't matter who I am because it only matters who you are. You see that in the text? Yet, even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from where? The master's table. She could have used any other word she wanted to, but she still do. You are the master, and if a crumb, just a crumb falls my way, I'll be all right. A crumb. If just a crumb, God, falls my way, I'm going to find healing. I'm going to find deliverance. I'm going to find, you fill in the blank, just a crumb falls from your table, I'll be okay. Man, wow. My great fear for us is we're missing the crumbs. The God's laying on the floor and you want the steak and yet God's saying, just pick up the crumb. You pick up the crumb, I promise more is to come. But God wants to see what we're going to do with the crumbs that He puts our way. Oh, if only a crumb God would fall from your table to us, we'd be okay. Do you understand you're not only helpless this morning, but do you recognize who you really are? Turn for just a moment to Romans as I quoted first. This is page 942 in your pew Bible. Chapter 5. Verse 6. He's going to give us many adjectives of who we are. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, page 942 
in your pew Bible. It says, for while we, that's a collective of all of us in this room that don't know Christ. For while we were still weak. Do you know how weak you are today? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We've been called weak. Now we've been called ungodly. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But God showed His love for us that we were still sinners. So we're weak, we're ungodly, and we're sinners. Those are great adjectives, aren't they? Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For we, while we were what? Enemies of God. So in this little section, we've been called weak, ungodly, we've been called uh, sinners, and we've now been called enemies. That is who we are. Apart from Christ. Can all of us in this room like that woman, that day at the feet of Jesus said, yes, that is who I am. No more, no less. There's no goodness in me at all. That is who I am. And now let's look at the Master's response. Then Jesus answered her. This is my way I see it. He gets down on one knee with her. Takes her face in his hands and says, oh, woman. Now, now that's not a derogatory term. Like, don't go around calling people women now. That's not going to go well for you. But it's a term of love, compassion, endearment. Oh, woman. I see you. I see you for who you are, and I see that you see yourself for who you are. I have love for you. I have compassion for you. Like Jesus said, he didn't need to say anything else. That look in his eye, the gentle embrace of his hands on her face, he said it all with really one word with an O in front of it. Oh, woman. Great is your faith. This is the only time in the, in, in the Gospels that Jesus says someone's faith is great. And who is it? It's a woman from his arch enemies that he had just called a dog. But her persistent pursuit of Christ, her recognition of her neediness, and her desire to, for God to meet her needs, she has great faith that he can do what he says he's come to do. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you, what? Desire. How many of us have 
desires in this room this morning? How many of us want those desires to be answered immediately? But look what it took for this woman to get her desires answered. Three things. It took her understanding the one who could answer those desires. Christ and Christ alone. It took her recognizing that she alone could not meet her own desires. That she was a dog. But then it also took persistence. I'm telling you right now, if someone calls me a dog, I'm turning away and walking away. And I'm done with that guy. Am I the only one? You call you a dog, Frank? You'd be alright with that? Fellas? No. But she said, call me what you may. Because that's true. But you can answer my desires. Do we believe that? You see, the key is going to the one that can answer our desires persistently. Is that true for you today? Because then this is how we'll close. And her daughter was healed instantly. You see, here's the great promise that's even greater than this for us. When we come to Christ on His terms as Lord and Master, and we recognize that we are but ungodly, wretched sinners that are apart from Him, and yet that Christ died for us, and we persistently come to Him and have great faith that He can save us, you are saved in an instant. That's better than your daughter being saved from a demon. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know who He is? Do you know who you are? And do you have the persistence to go to the One to answer? Let us pray.